Welcome back to Stories of Gumption. I'm your host, Ryan Lee, and this is episode 32. So Stories of Gumption, what are we doing here? Conversations with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and just really, really impressive people. Podcast episode is brought to you by Sparkle Clean. They provide professional and economic cleaning solutions to both residential and commercial structures. They specialize in window cleaning, floor care, carpet extraction, as well as auto and boat detailing. As we continue to face COVID and the coronavirus and the uncertainty around it, you should consider a cleaning team that is certified. Yes, certified, I said. Uh, They're certified to guarantee that 99.99999% of contagions have been removed from the surface in the workplace. So that's a big deal because there's cleaning and then there's certified cleaning that can guarantee your space is safe. Give them a call. They're at 518-578-2931. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at SparkleClean. S-P-A-R-K-I-L-K-L-E-E-N. That's Zach and Kate Hoyt, everybody. Great friends of mine. They're fellow Rotarians, uh, very active in the community. They give back, and uh, you should consider giving them a call. We're also sponsored by Home Heavens Designs. Home Heavens Designs seeks to help you take the stress out of selling, renting, organizing, and designing your home. They can give you tips that help you stage, organize, and sell or rent your home quickly. They will even help you write your online advertisement on sites like Zillow, Airbnb, and many more. Take the stress out of the process of organizing and preparing your home for whatever you have in store. Are you not selling or renting your home? That's okay. Home Heavens Designs is here to help you organize, create, and design a beautiful home that is a reflection of you. They can still provide you with great tips and tricks that will help you increase the value of your home by making tiny changes that cost very little. Primarily, check them out on uh, Instagram at Home Heavens Designs, H O M E H E V A N S Designs, uh, or you can give them a call at 518 593 5416. Lastly, we are brought to you by the one and only Alexander Edwards and Company, CPAs PC. They're located at 47 Dock Street in Plattsburgh. Alexander Edwards and Company has been providing common sense solutions to many North Country businesses, real life accounting and tax problems since 1920. Yeah, that's right. 1920. Bring them your problems. They provide solutions. Alexander Edwards and Company is a full service public accounting firm engaged in tax prep, bookkeeping, audits, estate planning, financial planning, and management consultation. As I'm recording this, it's the day after the new tax day this year because of COVID. So, uh, I'm sure they're quite busy, but they would still love for you to give them a call at 518-563-1600 or find them on the web. Today, episode 32. Man, I I am very pleased with how this conversation turned out uh, with Dr. John Mulholland. Um, He's he's a great guy. I met him uh, several years ago. it's actually hard to believe. It was, I think it was back in like 2013 when I was the director of the Boy Scouts uh, in my professional capacity. But uh, we had a great conversation about all things fitness. And uh, he talked about the Olympics. We talked about a little Auk Health stuff. We talked about marathon training. And honestly, his story of gumption is 
one that should resonate with all of us. Um, the consistency of tackling a long-term goal. There's a lot of gumption in that. And, uh, we talk about all of that as it applies to life, work, personal life, uh, uh, fitness. And it's just a great conversation. And, uh, we, uh, we go into the rapid fire section at the end, um, but it might be one of the longest rapid fire sections of the Stories of Gumption podcast for good reason. Uh, so I encourage you to listen all the way to the end. It's just a great podcast from start to finish. Enjoy. Gumption, defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. All right, we're live. Okay, so today my guest is Dr. John Mahollin. He's the owner and chiropractor at the Ideal Athlete Chiropractic practice here in Plattsburgh, New York, and, and across the world, I suppose, is his clientele. Very impressive. We might get into that. He's also a teacher for Rock Tape, which is pretty cool. I find that very interesting. Hey, welcome to the podcast, John hey, Mahollin. Thanks. thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah. Um, so uh, usually when I start these things off, I'm always trying to think, how did I meet this person? And I'm like, okay, John Mahollin. I definitely remember how I met John. <laughs> you were a keynote speaker for one of my... Uh, fundraisers back when I was the director of the Boy Scouts in this area and um, I was reflecting on that and trying to remember how you even put a spin on something that you actually admittedly didn't have a lot of exposure to as a kid and I was very impressed by your keynote back then. Oh thanks yeah I uh, I remember when you asked me because I was uh, I'd been doing some pretty good public speaking for a few years so I was that wasn't my concern um which is usually most people's concern is just actually getting up <laughs> right. in front of people. I, that's, but I'm super anal retentive uh, with most things in life. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do a good job. So I'm really, when I do a talk like that, I'm like, all right, rough size of the crowd. Who is going to be in the crowd? What length are you looking for? And some some people are just so organized, just so vague. It drives me insane because yeah. they're like, yeah, I'm not really sure. You kind of take as long as you want, you know, 20 minutes, 40. I'm like, no, I'd like to know, you know. And when you came to me with the Boy Scouts angle, right, I, I didn't have like a little experience. I had zero Boy Scout experience. Right. I was never involved. I didn't really have any of my friends were involved as kids. So when you came and said, let's tie in the, uh, your experience with the Olympic Games with kind of the Boy Scout crowd and their parents, uh, I hesitated a bit, but, uh, I, in hindsight, I'm glad I did it. It was, uh, put a, it wasn't a long talk, but it was f- completely from scratch. Yeah. And, uh, I got quite a few good comments, so I was yeah. happy to do it. Now, uh, remind me of the core premise, right? So like typically we were with those speeches, we do tend to have somebody who has some boy scout experience. So they're usually reflecting on their own experience, but you went right into, uh, working with athletes mm-hmm. at an Olympic level and then sort of the character of sport, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So it was, it was just, you know, it's been, what'd you say? Six, seven years I ago. I think since this I one might've been 2013. Yeah. yeah this so was I'm, a while ago. I'm going off a long yeah. memory, but yeah, yeah basically at, at the time, I mean, still now, but especially, you know, early to 2010s, 
all the headlines in sport that these kids were growing up watching on TV were almost all negative. You had the Lance Armstrong stuff. You had all the dopers in baseball and, and on and on. It was just very negative. And so I just decided to take a spin on character in sport and how sport, if done correctly, can help a kid grow character. Um, they do better in school when they're in season versus out of season, on and on and on. And so I just handpicked a bunch of Olympic examples of people all the way back to like the 1930s, um, you know, with the, the Berlin Olympics in front of Hitler when, you know, this white German long jumper gave Jesse Owens some advice on the pit and the runway and Jesse Owens ends up winning and they walk, you know, arm in arm you know, pretty powerful stuff. And then right through a few bobsled examples in the 50s of people, you know, a team breaking their equipment and another team loaning them uh, a bolt or their mechanics, and then they end up getting beat for the yep. gold medal. And yep. how it's it's really what people remember is is how you act as a person, not really, you know, the accomplishments. And it turned out pretty good. I, I yeah. went in blind just saying, all right, I got to come up with 15, 20 minutes here. What are we going to do? And like I said, it worked out pretty well. Well, I remember we raised a lot of money too. So That's good. You. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> Even no, better. It was a great one. And I really appreciated that opportunity to meet you at the time because uh, when when your name came up prior to that whole event, I was like, man, I, I've never heard of this guy. I've lived here my, my whole life. Yeah. And it's just great to build your network, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, it's sometimes frustrating. Um, and, and most of it, we were just talking before we get started, you know, is, is my own fault. I am probably the world's worst self-promoter. Um <laughs> You know, I've got social media stuff, and and I, I'm a moron for it. I know I am, but I just I don't. I'm not in love with social media, um, especially lately. It's yeah, you know, just so inundated. Yeah. You end up logging off like more angry and yep. irritated for lots of reasons, not just politics, but just the world is is angry. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I'm I'm the world's worst self promoter, but you know I have I appreciate it because I you know 20 years of practice now, um, almost all of it here in uh, other than two or three years right here in the North country between originally Elizabethtown and now downtown Plattsburgh. Um, I've had some pretty cool opportunities. Um, And I, you know, the patients that have been with me for years, I think can appreciate that and are pretty loyal to me, but it's always nice to get the word out. Yeah. So they, they probably don't teach much about that in uh, uh, school when you're learning the clinical side. No, like the business side of running a practice. No, almost none. It, it was horrifying when you get out, and and I ended up. I was so, at least I felt so unprepared. I ended up working as an associate for a better part of two years when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, for, I worked for a couple of docs down in Long Island, just because I did. I had no clue how to run a business. Um, I didn't even know how to get a loan. You know, it was they 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 covered none of that. It was all basically self taught, and I did a lot of research during those first two years working for someone else, and. Um, when I decided to come back home, uh, my first office was in Elizabethtown, of all places. <laughs> nice. Uh, I was born there. Yeah. I uh, grew up there till I was, I don't know, seven-ish, and then moved up here to Plattsburgh. Okay. Um, but I did my research. There was no one down there. There was like a 20-mile radius with, with no one. Um, so I did my demographic works, thought it was a, I had a little bit of name recognition um, and just a ripe opportunity. But man, I'm talking, trying to put a business plan together. Yep. This is early internet, kind of, um, yep. where certainly, you know, we're talking 19... 19- 99, yeah. 2000, you know, certainly not the resource it is today. And the bank still had their expectations. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to yeah. tell me. I'm Googling, yeah. you know, bank loan templates and, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I literally, I, I, the, the yeah. beauty was, I mean, I was asking for, in hindsight, just a, 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 a paltry sum of money. I think yeah. I, I think it was twenty five or $30,000, basically yeah. money to live on until yeah. I started having patients come in. So I, I got turned down by every single bank 
local, regional, everything. And then one guy, I'll, I'll give you his name, he's, he's Craig Cashman here in town who I went to school with his son. And I yep. think he maybe probably felt bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> and he gave me the loan, five-year note. And I was one of my first proud moments, had it paid off in 18 months. Nice. Um, so I, you know, I always kind of just wanted to stick it to those first bankers. Because you know, I've done so much business over the years with Craig before he retired oh, yeah. after that. So oh, yeah. take a chance. on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. One thing, um, I, you know, you were on uh, my good friend uh, GT's podcast, Galen Trombley Show, uh, recently. And one thing you guys talked about that's also interesting to me before we get into the gumption of this mm-hmm. thing uh, is youth sports today mm. versus, uh, you know, decades ago, I suppose. And, and I, I'm coming in from a, a new angle here from what you guys talked about. And if you haven't heard the podcast, go ahead and go listen to John Mahalan on uh, the Galen Trombley show as well. That was a good one. Um, you but sure you want to go down this road? Yeah, I could spend two hours I, on I'm not. Topic. I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> right, I'm not going to go two hours on, on sports. But <laughs> a couple minutes here because it's just interesting to me. Sure. Uh, my wife, Lauren, uh, has coached for Plattsburgh Football Club for many, many years. Mm. And uh, – what you spoke about in that other podcast about the difference in specialization at such a young age mm-hmm. versus like growing up and literally just pick like I was never a good basketball player, but I can remember so many times where I was playing pickup basketball with my friends right. and I built some natural level of ath- athleticism from yeah. that, I think, and balance and coordination and uh, never was a skills player. You know, I played a lot of ice hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played football. I was never going to be that guy that like could stick handle around everybody. Yep. Um, but I could skate around you. And just as long yep. as I use my body to keep the puck away from you, I could probably pass you, you yep. know? Um, and it was just an interesting, uh, point of conversation that I'd love for you to talk about a little bit as it pertains also to your job currently. Yeah. So the the quick summary is I'm just, uh, it's not my opinion. I mean, it's, it's almost all the orthopedic, you know, boards are on board with this. The pediatric boards is, is the, the, one of the most pressing concerns with youth sports in recent memory, uh, especially the last five to 10 years is this shift toward early sports specialization. These kids that play nothing but soccer year round. Um, Plattsburgh football club. Pl- exactly. With my, you know, my was, wife coaching these kids year round. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's gotten so deep now in AAU basketball now, you know, none of those things were options when I was a kid. Um, in fact, it's funny. I, I was actually on the best of my knowledge, the first ever travel soccer team in the North country <laughs> back in had to be like 1986. Um, we were sponsored by little Caesars and basically it was a tryout from the whole section seven kids, middle school age kids. And we would just spend a few weeks in the summer going up to Quebec and down to Albany. But that was it. It was maybe two or three months. Um, And that was all we really had. We had no off-season basketball. We had no off-season anything. Um, And and what's happening is is two or three things with this sport specialization so young. First of all, most of the, like I say, the orthopedic pediatric sports medicine people are on board in that you shouldn't even consider, no matter how much the kid wants to, you shouldn't really consider specializing a kid in a sport until at the earliest your young teens. Mm. You know, at the earliest, 14, 15. And that's the exceptional ones that exactly. are really showing exactly. exception, and, and the problem is exceptional it's beca- power, prowess. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the problem is, is it's gotten so these these summer leagues and the travel teams and the AAU has gotten so pervasive of that is that the parents and the kid and through them to the kids, it's this fear of missing out. 
that they think if this kid doesn't play every possible summer, spring, league, fall, that they're going to be left behind. And that's the cycle we've kind of been stuck in recently, and it's not a good one. Mm. Uh, because the stark reality is, listen, if you're a superstar athlete, I, I mentioned this on Gail and Chef, if you're a superstar athlete, you could probably at the age of 12 or 13 go a couple of years without ever touching a soccer ball, jump back in at 14, and be the star of the team within a few weeks or a couple of months. Yeah, um, ath- Freak athletes are freak athletes for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just better your chances of success at the high school and college level if you diversify as long as possible in mm-hmm. sport. Now, the other side of that is the mental burnout. You know, these kids that, that do nothing but a single sport, you know, take running now. Now, we again, not to keep being the old guy referencing back to when I was in school, yeah. but we didn't have indoor track. It didn't start till several years after I graduated high school. So it, I think indoor track is one of the, the worst things in a, in a weird way. And I, yep. I don't mean to say, you know, it, it shouldn't be there, but particularly for distance runners that are running year round now. They're mm. running a, a heated cross country season where they're doing a meet or two sometimes every week with maybe a few days to a week or two. They are right into indoor track running on, you know, to be perfectly honest, up in the North Country, for the most part, pretty crappy tracks, um, small, undersized, old, poorly maintained tracks, tight turns. And they're doing a few months of that with mm. a, a meet every week. And then again, with a few days to a week or two, they're right into outdoor season. Um, and it's injuries. I, well, that's that's where I'm tying it into my practice yeah. is I am just seeing, I mean, 20 years I've been at it. It's my 20th year in practice. And there is no doubt that there has been a surge the last second half of my practice career, the last eight to 10 years of middle school, high school kids coming in with overuse injuries um, mm. of all sports. But the big ones that I see routinely are runners and soccer players. Um, for whatever reason that is, but I think those are two of the big sports that are tended to be done mm. year-round in a lot of cases. So, yeah, it's this combination of mental burnout and just physical burnout from doing the same movements over and over, same sets of cleats, same types of patterns of movement that lead to these repetitive stress injuries. Has that—this uh, is kind of an awkward question, I suppose, but has that helped with job security? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, but, you know, there's a lot of things that help with job. I mean, we as humans are, are routinely pretty— uh, feeble-minded yeah. when it comes to working out, and we yeah. routinely do pretty dumb things. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I just want to get back into running, and I, I know I haven't run in five years, but I'm just going to start by jump right into a marathon program, and you know, yeah. and, and then surprised why you're a little yeah. hurt after a few weeks. Um, you know, but weight training now. This the, the big the one I see a lot, and I'm not saying they're bad, but you got to use your head too. Is these home workout the kind of the boot camp? Yep. Uh, beach body and boot yep. camp type things that yep. a lot of the gyms are well, were offering before a few months ago. Um, and now a lot of them are even doing it online, some of the local gyms. Um, great, awesome to get people off the couch. But, you know, you're moving your body through pretty big ranges of motion, sometimes with some load. Um, and in the boot camp classes, the big issue I see is moving very quickly from exercise to exercise. And even though you may, at the beginning of the workout, have kind of a focus on technique, I mean, once fatigue starts getting in, you're huffing yep. and puffing, yep. um, stuff breaks down and you're not quite as careful. With Love the- to be a fly on the wall or like a, a webcam of like just watching even myself when I was doing those years ago yep. of how I was in it, you know, in, insanity, classic one yes. I would do all yeah. the time. A lot of plyometrics, right? Jumping yeah. up and down. You're in your living room. Right. You know, it's like... And more uh, so, you have to earn it. You're looking in and you see the, the, the screen and then you see me and you're like, wow, it looks close yeah. ryan's yeah. almost 
there but then like half hour later i yeah. probably look like shit yeah you know yeah you <laughs> i don't... feel like i'm doing fine but i don't have anybody auditing my no and my... that's it and, and the phrase yeah. that i like to tie in not from the world of athletics originally but it fits is, is you don't know what you don't know yeah like yeah like the classic so i see a ton of runners that's kind of my niche you have a overuse running injury that's kind of my wheelhouse you know between the ironman athletes and the marathoners and the ultra people and everything i see a ton of that in my practice and it's just amazing when I go through a little screen with them where I'll have them kind of recreate a running motion. I'll watch them squat. I'll watch them do a lunge. And then the big one is that really people can't hide anymore is when you put them on one leg. And so I'll have them balance on one foot and do just a little quarter squat, you know, squat down slowly, just down, you know, a third of the way, hold that position for a couple seconds and stand back up. And I'll have them do that four or five times. Now, what is that movement essentially? That's, that's running. You know, it's, it's 10,000 little quarter squats that you have to manage on one foot. And when you're on one leg, you don't have that second leg to, to help out and hide any weaknesses and asymmetries. You, there's yeah. nowhere to hide when you're on one foot. And so I'll sit there and watch. And then what I'll do is I'll sometimes bring, I go, give me your phone. And I'll video them doing that little quarter squat a few times on their phone. I'll freeze it at the bottom. And you see all kinds of just just horrificness happening. <laughs> the knee caving in, the hip shifting out, the pelvic unleveling excessively. And they never know they're doing that. And I, I, you know, the, let's just say they came in with knee pain. And I show them this picture of this horrible knee position. And I, I, I go, look at it. I go, does that look like a good position for your knee to be in 20,000 times in a six-mile run? Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, you know, it's always, oh, no, geez, I had no idea. No idea I did that. Well, now you know. So how do mm-hmm. we correct that? Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of almost a like a visual slap in the face mm-hmm. of this is why you are hurt. Mm-hmm. I you are here. I will tell you what you need to do to correct it. Um, you just have to do it. Um, so yeah, you never know what you don't know. People think they they're doing the right thing a lot, and usually are not. You're grabbing all of my interest in the other direction of where sure. Uh, but so last small talk question, so to speak, before mm-hmm. we get into the ju- the gumption, but. It's a two-parter. What is your stance on the zero or minimal drop running shoe? And uh, kind of the second layer of that, I had a, a couple friends who have had injuries that have, over in Vermont who uh, told me that uh, they had stress fractures from running on public roads that have a pitch to them. Mm. And so the pitch of like slightly having one yeah. foot higher than the other over a long period of time so the two questions so the second one first um i don't know that there's any link directly between stress fractures specifically in the camber of the road the slant of the road but absolutely to just general lower extremity hip and pelvis injuries absolutely there's a link Mm. i mean and it makes sense i mean it's essentially you're creating and that's why i love well there's a lot of things sometimes i don't love about the city of plattsburgh Um, (laughs) but it is a runner uh, most of my adult life it is nice because you don't really deal with the camber yeah you can oh i hate running on sidewalks it's funny only a runner could tell you that most people look at you if you never run and think you're crazy but when i tell them how noticeably harder the impact feels yes. on a cement sidewalk yes. versus a blacktop road. Yes. And oh, what are you talking about? So it's a road. I'm like, no, no, no. You can feel. I'm not even a runner and, and I know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So I tend to try to run on the shoulder of the road when I can, if it's not too busy a road. Um, so that's, we're kind of lucky in that regard. We don't have to deal with that. But I see all these runners from, you know, Peru and Osable and up in Champlain where you're on some of these big state roads and they are significant cambers and sometimes. And so 
you know, you tend to see, not to get too mm-hmm. uh, into the weeds with the sports medicine or, or you know, it's what you do, man. It's cool. Yeah. Just think about it. You're essentially creating, and if you're always, as you should be, running against traffic, you will always have that lower left side of your body. Yeah. And so essentially you've created, uh, uh, you know, at a best case, uh, parts of an inch in big cambers. Maybe it's an inch, inch and a half leg length discrepancy by running on the on the shoulder of the road. And so, you know, if, if you just came in and your hips were an inch off standing in the room, you'd probably be a little concerned and at least want to evaluate that and see if it's contributing to injuries. But you don't think of doing, you know, 40 miles a week on those roads. Yeah. Um, and so, again, not not. It's not a hundred percent, but but the patterns you tend to see with these type of injuries is you will see a lot of problems on the outside of the left leg. So you'll see kind of like a like a lateral or outside of the ankle tendonitis, outside of the knee, outside of the hip of the left leg, and a lot of inside of the shin and ankle pain on the right leg. Oh my so, god! So you can kind what, of that picture, was my problem. Yeah. So <laughs> the shin on the right leg, the inside. The inside. Shape. So that's the muscle called the posterior tibia. That's kind of your classic shin splint muscle. Yes. Um, on the well, there's two. There's either on the on the outside part of the shin or the inside. But probably 80 percent of people, it's the inside muscle. And basically, what are you doing? You picture that right foot landing, tilted down on the inside, and so you're basically over pronating. You're you're kind of throwing your foot more into the arch with every stride because the road is tilted that direction. And so that muscle on the inside of the shin Mm. gets just overstretched and overworked and eventually it's going to break down. So yeah, the camber is absolutely now stress fracture. I haven't really heard clinically a link, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, that's, that's interesting to me. And we'll, we'll have to talk more offline about my my shin splints while I was running more. Yeah. We could talk why I haven't run in a while. I don't know. the Thanks, COVID. Yeah, no, right, right. Not yeah. to be insensitive, but no. like I just stopped running because of COVID. Yeah. But uh, no excuse. But the second question, I'm yeah. really curious because I've never gotten a professional to tell me his or her p- opinion on Okay. The so reduced, I just did a yeah. I just did a two hour talk like a month ago on this online. Yes. For a thing. So okay. So I, I will not do maybe two we'll, hours. Maybe but we'll put the link in the podcast. Info maybe for, yeah. To, for, see if it's can, still if you can get up to it. Yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, if I'll, not, I'll check yeah. later. So little history. All of this minimalist running movement essentially came about, at least recently, with the book Born to Run Um, by Chris McDougall. I'm going off memory, but probably late 99, 98, 99, maybe. Yeah. I think you're right. Chris McDougall. Chris. Chris? I think it's Chris. Anyway, Born to Run was a New York Times bestseller, hugely popular, very interesting, well-written book um, about this, you know, kind of mysterious tribe uh, in central Mexico that could just run prolific distances without even, you know, hardly eating or drinking and either barefoot or these little tire sandals that they self-made. Um, and this book kind of blew up and this whole minimalist running movement came about. The problem was he took some literary, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Liberties. Liberties. Thank you. Um, in, kind of handpicking some of the research he quoted. Um, In fact, the main guy that he referenced throughout was a a PhD at Harvard named Dan uh, Lieberman, who is one of the world's really renowned experts on gait and human Mm -hmm. movement. And even Lieberman came out after, you know, months or even years later and said, you know, he did take some liberties and and picked some data. Mm -hmm. He didn't even agree completely. So the, the short story of this is in a perfect world, as we grew up, you know, 10, 20,000 years ago, yes, we didn't have shoes. 
So the, the being able to go out and running barefoot or in the zero drop shoe in theory is a fine idea. The problem is for a 25, 45, 55 year old person that's been living in a shod society, sitting at a desk for most of their career, their bodies don't tolerate the change. So what you start to see is someone goes to a zero drop shoe. Now, if they're gifted and blessed and have great ankle range of motion and, and, and uh, mobility in the calf and Achilles and foot stability, awesome. They might be able to do it. But what you typically see is a huge uptake, uptick in injury rates in that ankle and calf complex. So people that try to make that change to a zero drop typically will have problems with Achilles tendon problems, mm. um, uh, calf strains, things like that. So again, not a bad idea, but in reality, a lot of people struggle with that transition. Even if they take their time, which a lot of people don't, but even if you take time to break your body in over several weeks, some people just don't have the mobility in the ankle, no matter how mm. hard they work, to make that work. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept. I, I would just gauge people that you have to be super duper careful if you want to make that switch. Um, but the interesting thing is the research doesn't really pan out anyway, meaning get into the weeds again, but, yeah. um, the reason, so the fundamental reason with barefoot running or minimalist running, the whole point of that group is basically their, their theory is that heel striking is the enemy. Mm-hmm. That if you're hitting with your heel hitting the ground first with your run, that's like the, the ultimate wrong. It's increasing impact forces. It's increasing injury rates. And we have to do anything we can to avoid the heel strike. Hence, their, their, their logic is if you run without shoes or run with a minimalist shoe without the big built-up heel, it will force you to land more on your midfoot or the front of your foot. Problem is the research has zero evidence that that's actually true. Meaning they've done studies where if you naturally heel strike, you will heel strike barefoot just like you would heel strike in a shoe. And so, so switching doesn't necessarily matter. The, 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 the mistaken logic that a lot of these people have made is that heel striking is the enemy. What they really mean to say is overstriding is the enemy. So right. if your foot's hitting the ground way out in front of your center of gravity, right. that is detrimental. That shoots impact forces through the roof. It also is very uneconomical. It's basically you're breaking yourself every time your foot hits the ground. In an ideal world, your foot would be hitting the ground kind of underneath your knee with a vertical shin, not mm -hmm. out in front of your body. The difference is that how your foot hits the ground, as long as it's underneath you, makes no darn difference at all. The research backs that up. And in fact, the thing that blows people away is because they always think, again, these barefoot minimalist people, you know, these elite runners, you're not going to see the Kenyans heel striking, you know, they're, they're on these marathon records and stuff. And it's wrong that they've done several published studies of elite half marathoners and elite marathoners. And without fail, it's usually around 75% of the elite distance runners are heel strikers. No kidding. 75%. Wow. Um, so it's not this horrible thing. So I tell people that the catchphrase I've, I've adapt, adopted over the last couple of years is stop worrying about how your foot hits the ground and start focusing on where your foot is hitting the ground, meaning make sure the foot's landing underneath you and you're not overstriding, but how, what part of the foot hits the ground, stop worrying about it. Just let mm. whatever naturally happens, happen. Um, in fact, the, the bomb-proof research has routinely shown that the people, the runners who get injured the, at the highest rates 
are the people in these studies are the people that they force to change from their natural foot strike pattern. So you take a bunch of people, you just watch them run, separate them into heel strikers or non-heel strikers, and then you make them say, hey, heel strikers, I want you to really work the next month on trying to land more on your midfoot or forefoot. And the same for the natural forefoot strikers. I want you to develop more of a heel strike as you run. And both of those groups get injured at vastly increased rates than the normal people that just land naturally. So it's very freeing too for a lot of these people that have read a book like that and just are obsessed and really like every run they're just worried about you know getting off their heel or getting so i tell them this story and it it is freeing as a runner to just say okay i'm just going to work on increasing my cadence make sure i'm taking quick shorter steps and not over striding and after that man just whatever works works you know that's so that's the long-winded answer that's you know what that that just made the podcast for me. Oh, good. Because, <laughs> any runners because, out there? Because I've been uh, in a very, uh, without going on my own tangent here too far, uh, I've, I've been, this year I was going to try and run my first marathon. Mm-hmm. Got several halves under my belt. I was like, it's time. My wife did one a year or two ago. She had a great experience. She was like, oh, man, I, I did it, you know? Yep. And uh, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is something I need to do. I need to just, like really mentally try and because it's a mental game for me for uh, everyone th- for everybody yeah, yeah. um I, th- I was gonna do the burlington yep and i was running on the treadmill getting going i was you know all through january in the snow and i was ready and through that whole time i kept worrying about heel striking because i know i'm a heel striker yeah. i can see the wear on my shoes yep and i try to land more on the front and i actually bought a pair of I've been actually they're pretty comfortable and I still really like them but the um kinetic running used to sell them the uh Newtons Newtons yep yeah 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 for me for whatever reason it it does shorten my stride and it feels mm-hmm. good but I thought it was more cuz I was landing on the front of my foot a little bit but uh anyhow that yeah. is a very that is a huge burden that is now washed yeah. off my mind because I can focus more on the stride rather than how my foot's hitting the yeah. ground quick forceful steps not yep. overstriding is the easiest thing. Kind of if you have a mantra when you're running, it's just quick, quick steps. You know, increase your cadence, quick off the ground, light pit pattery kind of steps is is going to improve account, running economy, but also decreases impact loads with running. So nice. Yeah. So this is the Stories of Gumption podcast. Yes, and uh, we're already almost done. No, okay. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm curious, uh, what is Gumption? mean to you so i thought long and hard about this when you fired a few you know questions over to me and i i kind of thought i had to at a hot take that i was going to do a hot take on you kind of <laughs> spin it because i'm not it's a weird word gumption um you know as i mentioned earlier it was you know there's a lot of kind of synonyms for it you know character toughness grit uh, grit is a big one the last couple of years yes. i see a lot in the literature um, just read a study, interestingly, um, this week, I cannot recall where, but basically looked at intelligence, and I forget the age group, and grit and long-term success in life, whether was grit more important than baseline kind of intelligence, and I, I just skimmed the study. Yeah. Um, and in that particular study, the answer was no. That the people that were smarter, no matter how hard they work, so it's kind of like that, you know, it's like that genetic gift, and you can spin yeah. it right back to athletics. Um, you know, you see, this, you know, you got an NFL player for a father and a WNBA player for a mom that happened to have a kid, you, 
Well, guess what? You are going to be heads and tails above everybody else without any amount of work in most cases, just genetically. You will yeah. be a little gifted. Yeah. Um, and no amount of work will make you six foot nine. And how about, you know, yeah, my son, you know, he's, he loves playing basketball and he's, he's big kid for, you know, he's just turned 16 and he's about almost my height. So he's you oh, know, wow. six foot or so. Yeah. But guess what? You know, that's a tough road if you're not significantly gifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so grit to me, my, my thought to come back to your question was more about showing up consistently in whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, whether it's just your day-to-day job that you may or may not like, whether it's a, a workout routine that you're you may be having a bad week or coming off an injury, but just this concept of showing up every day and doing work. Now, if you consider that grit, some people might, some people uh, discipline, you know, might, might, I, I don't know what the right word is, but that's been my personal philosophy for most of my life. I was not supremely talented in any way. You know, I was a good athlete, but I also worked my butt off. Um, I am a, a, a good practitioner in chiropractic. I've got good hands and, you know, maybe say after 20 years, probably maybe above average skills, just as you tend to get when yeah, you do stuff for, for a long sure. enough time. But it also comes down to, I just show up and do my work day in and day out, regardless of the weather, regardless of my mood, regardless of anything. And I think if you do that long enough, good things tend to happen, period. Mm. I, mm. I, you know, I, I've mentioned a couple times to people, I've had some interesting stories and trials and tribulations in my life as a 45-year-old. I Probably the proudest thing that I, I tend to tell people more often is that in my 20 years of private practice, I have never, ever missed a single day of work. Not one. Um, not that I haven't been under the weather from time to time or, or you know, certainly didn't feel like just waking up one day and, and calling in. But now part of that is motivation financially. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a teacher. I'm not, you know, I don't work for the city. I don't work, you know, I'm not working for an employer. I don't show up to work. I don't make any money. So that's certainly a, a motivator, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially when I was young and, and poor and, you know, just trying to create a business. Um, but even so, good things tend to happen when you show up and do work. I, I was talking to you a little earlier about the, my workout streak. I do the same thing with working out. You know, until recently, I had a six or seven year streak of working out every single day for six or seven years without missing a single day. And I travel a lot. The last six years teaching for Rock Tape, I've been averaging, you know, before this COVID stuff, I've been averaging 20 to 25 courses a year, weekend courses. Yeah, so in addition to running my practice here, I'd fly on a Friday twice a month, teach six hours Saturday, six or eight hours Sunday, fly home midnight, catch, try to catch the ferry from Burlington or driving back from Montreal airport. Um, so I have not felt like working out every day for seven years, but you do it. I'm almost afraid. I'm a little OCD with certain things. I like my patterns and I just feel like if I ever missed a day, it would be that much easier just to miss another day and miss another day. And I don't think it's right to do necessarily the same type of working out every day. I, mm. I rarely do that, but I run one day or I bike one day, or maybe someday I'm really not feeling it. I'll just do push-ups for 20 or 25 minutes. Um, but it comes back to the concept of just showing up and doing work. Yeah. So that resonates with me a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of life skills, uh, to your definition of gumption and grit. Like, um, if you expect to lose weight, 
you can't go to the gym for three days, eat really well for three days, and then be like, oh, look at what I did. Right. You know, you have to uh, you have to take uh, take your medicine, so to speak, and recognize that it's the long term approach with anything for for success. The, the right? quote the quote I say yeah. constantly yeah. Is, that I love, and because it it, it, it it traverses all different fields, you know, uh, business and, and working out and nutrition or anything is this concept that people really vastly overestimate what they can do in a day and really vastly underestimate what they can do in a year. You yes. know, we try to cram all this in. I got to get this whole project done by Thursday or Friday and it's just overwhelming and they never start, you know, I don't even know where to start and just panic and anxiety and all this, this horrible feelings. Um, when in reality, if you just you know, one or two small things a day, get it done, but doing it day after day after day, that's where you see the progress. I mean, let's spin it back to athletics. You know, the, the athletes that are the most successful are what? Now, there's a lot of variables, but just if right. you just took, uh, you know, I used to do a lot of work up at the Olympic Training Center in Placid. So I'm walking yep. down the halls or I'm having it working in the medical room and people come in. They're all freaks. Oh, okay, yeah. These are all Olympic or near oh, yeah. Olympic level athletes. So, you know, if you take everyone in the same kind of out of the freak pool of athletics and then dive in and say, what makes the super elite? What are these people that are vying for medals versus the people that never quite get onto that World Cup team? Yep. One of the big players, you know, obviously mental yeah. uh, uh, stability and mental uh, uh, just stability is is one thing, but from a physical perspective, it's the people that aren't injured. It's being able to continue to train and compete month after month, year after year without notice, noticeable injury. That's where the problem, because that's where your fitness and strength continues to grow and you can ramp up and ramp up. It's the people like a lot of you and I that I treat in my office that you're fit, you feel good for two, three months, then you're injured. You can't work out for two or three weeks. Right. Then you, so you just picture it like saw teeth. You're yep. ramping up, you're ramping up, oop, injured, now I'm back to, you know, I lose 30%. Then yep. I go a month or two, and now my knee hurts. And I miss, yep. miss another week or two. And it's this constant up and down that really prevents the long-term building of fitness and wellness and health. Um, and you could argue the same thing in, in business. Oh, yeah. You know, when you, you, you make this you know, bad mistake, or you miss a week, or you're doing yep. this, or you go down a bad road, and, and you're just all this herky-jerky um, reactions to different trends or something you read in a magazine. Oh, I'm going to start doing this in my business or I'm going to start doing that. And, and not that you can't be, uh, you know, can't pivot and shift with things, but, but there's something to be said for just having a long-term vision and doing it day in and day out. I agree. I think, I think a lot of times, especially in business, but also with fitness, like you said, and a lot of things in life, you, it's whether you're looking at the long-term view proactively or reactively. Right. I like how you phrase that. Yeah. I think of it that way a lot myself. Uh, as I'm here, uh, you know, building a, a business of my own, so to speak, under the support of Hickok and Boardman, yep. right? Uh, long-term, uh, I have a goal in mind, but there are plenty of days where I show up and go home and yeah. it doesn't feel like any change happened. But yeah. it's the small steps, like you said, of the consistency of keep showing up, showing up, showing up, showing up, that all of a sudden compounds right. on itself. And I could see that with fitness. I could see that with uh, job tasks at home that you're trying to get done. It's like, it, sometimes it's not easy. It's like you said, you well, know, you never, got, you got food poisoning, yeah. but it's almost always not easy. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the gumption though, yes, right? That's it's, right. That's the gumption is the moment of sitting there reflecting yourself and saying, 
I don't want to show up today. Yep. But the gumption of the grit, so to speak, yeah. is recognizing that, well, I may not actually make the progress I want today, yeah. but it's a micro dose towards the end goal. Right. Yeah. I have that discussion with patients all the time that come in, they're overweight or they, they want to start running. They haven't been, and they just, you know, the motivation sucks, especially around here. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I can, I can make fun cause I was born and raised here. Sure. Um, it's it, as an outdoor athlete, this is a challenging place to do that for a number of reasons. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, we've, we get outside the city. There's some nice roads for biking with big shoulders and nice pavement for the most part. But let's be honest, the weather sucks yes. a, a large percentage of the year. So there's very little, you know, Mediterranean-like climate here yeah. where it's either 20 below, there's snow on the ground, it's sleeting, the wind's blowing 100 miles an hour, and then immediately you're running in, you know, 98-degree uh, heat, humidity, you're getting eaten alive by bugs, the deer flies, the this, the that. It, if you're waiting for the good day to get a run in or a bike in, you will not ever do anything. Um, it's like so, David Goggins. Yes, right. Well, <laughs> and people would argue, you know, I think there is something to the New England, upstate New York character, you know, that's been written about and parodied on TV of just this kind of salt of the earth yeah. uh, if you survive <laughs> up here. But, I mean, good and bad. You know, it certainly yeah. can make you tough, but it can also make you pretty cynical and yeah. weathered and everything yeah. else. And then you just talk about the infrastructure. You know, the city's done some okay things over the years with, with putting a bike lane in here or yep. modifying there. But when you if you travel at all, you see how far behind we are in that regard. Mm. Um, and people love blaming the budget and this and that. But the fact is, it's just never really been much of a priority around here for most mm -hmm. of my life. And I remember years ago when they put the, the city bike path in out Margaret Street and patting themselves on the back. Hey, look at this awesome bike path. And I was like, yeah, it's great, but it's like a mile bike path. <laughs> and <laughs> they go really back and forth 20, well, that 25 connects, times. And it connects yeah, like, to nothing. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. it's not maintained very well. Yeah. You know, it's like it's just basically people just roaming, coming in from out of town, up and down. Because I bike and run every day. And so it's it's frustrating. And so it's the, the amenities are not there like they are in some cities. So you've got to be tough. Yeah. You've got to want to do it. And so the conversation I tend to have with my, my patients that want to get started is exactly that. I say, you don't wait for a good day. But it's also that most humans, human nature is just you set your bar way too high and you are setting yourself up to fail. Mm. You know, it's, it's like, I, I forget, I'm just kind of bastardizing the numbers here, but I'm not far off. I remember a study I read years yeah. ago where if you try to make one habit change in any regard, just something in your life you want to do differently, if you only attempt to change one thing at a time, I think the success rate's like 50, 60, 70%. The minute you add a second thing to change at the same time, both drop to like 20 or 30%. <laughs> um, and so yeah. e eating and diet and working out, that's the big one, right? Everyone mm -hmm. wants to start working out more. They want to lose weight. And so they, they, they do everything at once and most people fail miserably. You get to day five and you're like, I can't take this right. anymore. Because they're starving themselves and they're starting to, they're trying to run five miles a day yep. instead of just saying, Hey, listen, let's work on diet first. Yeah. Because I, I love, and it's okay to swear a little bit, but oh, for sure. It's, uh, yeah. You know, the, the classic phrase, you will never out train a shitty diet. Yeah. Period. The number it's, it's very, very disheartening. If you actually do a deep dive on the calories you burn working out, it's pathetic. Oh yeah, no. It really is. I mean, it, it, even if you're running, which is you could right up there with cross country skiing, you know, as probably the the and maybe rowing as the big calorie burns. You know, for a normal sized adult male, 
you could go hammer for an hour and maybe burn six or 700 calories. You know, and you what go, is a pound again? A pound. 3,500 yes, calories. Yes, 3,500 calories. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so you say, I just went and did, you know, hill repeats for 40 minutes or stair repeats, you know, which are just as, as crappy as it can get for a workout, you know, just gut wrenching. Yeah. And your watch comes back, you burn 380 calories. Yeah. I mean, that's a snack. Yeah. And so if, if weight loss is your goal and we know multiple habits at one time tend to fail, let's dial in the damn diet first. Yes. Because you're, you're going to have much more success than trying to work out um, and, yep. and lose the weight. Let's yep. get the, the fast food cut back to, to maybe once a week instead of twice a day. Yeah. Um, then you start getting people throwing in trying to quit smoking on top. So now you got three habits that are each one by itself horribly hard to, to yep. institute and, and become a routine. So dial it back. Let's get the diet in order for a month or two. Forget about working out, man. Take it easy on your brain. One thing. Diet the diet. And then you see such quick change if you go from a typical American diet to eating cleaner. Yep. Um, they start the pounds start to come off, and then it becomes right self perpetuating. Well, it you said something motivated. on uh, Galen's podcast too about listen to about uh, like the understanding of what's actually a good diet too. Yep. Like, right. Like if people who are like, oh, I'm 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 dieting this week. I'm I'm just I'm trying just to eat fruit. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the concept. Like, well, what, what's your goal? Yeah. Was my point, what's your goal? Because it, there is fruit's not bad, but no. it depends how it's being right if your goal is fat loss to meet your goal yeah yeah having you know four bananas a day may not be a great choice yeah you know period now if you're just looking for you know if you're at a perfect ideal weight and you're lean and you're working out like an elite athlete three hours a day or you're training for iron man you can get away with a lot more yeah you know i always tell people you can earn earn the crappy stuff yeah you know you want to have a big bowl of pasta you want to have some fruit for dessert or snack that's fine but you better have earned it um, it's just like, it's the other question besides what's the best running sneaker I should get in my office, probably what's the best diet. And there is no best diet. Yeah. You know, everybody's different. What, what people respond to. Some people are on the extremes where they do really, really well with super low carb. Other people don't do really well. You know, they do well with a little higher carb, but mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately it comes down to, um, you know, calories in calories out in some way or another. And you know, the people that say, well, I'm, I'm just not losing weight. I'm eating a lot less. I'm not losing weight. It, one of the things I recommend is keep a food journal. Yeah. One week. I mean, some people say three days. I just say it's not that hard. Oh, there's some, just, some really sophisticated apps and out there apps that even will do too. it for you. Right. Or you just, scan the box and it's like, yeah. I had one serving of this, whatever. Yeah. People just vastly underestimate what they're eating in a day. Yeah. Or more so around here, I, you know, just because I'm not around here for any reason other than this well, where I live. Well, that's clientele too, it's, it's, mostly. It's what they're drinking a day. Oh wow! I mean, yeah. you see the people walking around with the the depth si- depth charge size Starbucks uh, with cream mocha. and caramel. Oh karma. my god! I've just never seen. You know, you, it's like you the big look gold. at it. It's like eight hundred yes. eight hundred calories or something. A hundred percent. It's just they're they're milkshakes essentially, and these people are just you know, or the juice. You know, like these people just pound a twenty ounce orange yeah. juice. That's just you look at it. There's more so you know more sugar in it than a, a can of Pepsi. Yeah. Um, Crazy. So, yeah. If you can just dial in the nutrition stuff, then you can work about. Let's start with walking. And what I tell people, especially if they're working out in the morning, I say, I'm going to challenge you for the next week. I want you to get up in the morning or whenever you have the ability to work out, and I only want you to walk for five minutes. Five minutes. And they laugh. And I say, no, that's the lowest possible bar to set to establish a habit. Yes. And what happens? 
nine times, 99 times out of 100, they're not going to turn around after five minutes. The hard part's getting your shoes on yes. at 5.30 or 6 yes. and actually getting out the front door. Yes. Then within a few seconds, it's, it's fine. Um, I don't do treadmills, you know? So, so 20 below, I'm out there. If it's 90, I'm out there. I just, I don't like treadmills mm. at all. And so I, that's the hardest part is just getting the tights on, putting the hat on. Once yep. you're out, it's like, yeah, it's fine, you know? So set the bar low and then go from there. In the spirit of uh, gumption and, and your definition of gumption and showing up, just showing up every day. Yep. What was, uh, what was as you reflect on your life, your experience maybe with the Olympics or uh, your practice or so, what, what's a story or an example from your life where you almost didn't show up, but you did any, or, or one of the most hardest days to show up? I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I imagine there must have been days, uh, for me, just predicting me in your shoes, there definitely would have been a day or two where if I had to wake up early and be at the top of the, or wherever, at the bobsled track, and it's super cold, and it's 7 a.m. or something, I probably would have had a hard day. I mean... You're getting paid to be there, so you show up. But well, actually, no. I'm just thinking, oh, no. that's right. So, you weren't no. getting paid. No, but, so the interesting yeah. USA, let me talk about that for a sec, just because it's, it's good, and then Let's I'll, do I'll it. bring it yeah. back. You remind me to go back around. But yeah, one of the big misunderstood things, and it's not just bobsled, it's any medical volunteer or any medical personnel that works for any U.S. Olympic team. So lately, I, I haven't really traveled with bobsled in three or four years, well, probably maybe four or five years at this point. Um, I just done it enough where I just, it was tough to justify leaving town when I travel so much for work as it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we are all volunteers. They pay, we have to be selected. It's not an easy thing to kind of work up through to being called to work a World Cup event or a Olympic Games or World Championships. But it is, it, they are, it is volunteer. So when I have to close my practice for two or three weeks to travel in Europe, it's cool. Um, there's no revenue. There's though. no pay. And yeah. not to mention, I'm not making any money on top of it um, as a just an, you know, uh, an entrepreneur. I work for myself. It's me. Um, so it's tough. It's an honor, but it's you're not raking it in. Um, they pay for your expenses. They put you up in a hotel. They pay your airfare and stuff, but you're not making any money. Um, so everyone has this idea that it's this, you know, posh hotels. It's an Olympic team. Uh, you, you know, it's it's just glamour and everything. And it is far from that. It is long, <laughs> grueling days. It's me, in most cases, me, a provider on the road with a team that might be 20 to 30 athletes. And I'm working in some cases from five or six in the morning if athletes want a treatment before practice or before they eat breakfast, right down to 10 or 11 at night sometimes, and all in between at the track during practices and yeah. stuff. Um, and most of them, we're working in my little folding portable table in the middle of a hallway in a hotel and middle of nowhere in the corner trying to move my bed out of the way to treat people uh i've treated i've treated athletes in toilet stalls because they didn't want to be seen being treated uh and everything in between so it's it is not a life of glamour so yeah all of those days but i have to be honest back to your original question i i rarely struggle not that i'm not tired some days or just you know especially if you're two weeks straight without a day off um you know treating nonstop for i can only 12 13 days straight is it gets it gets, you get a little burned out. It's the experience though, right? But the, you're there I love travel. Yeah. So I, I rarely would, I wouldn't classify anything working with a team on the road as ever having a day like that, like you were asking me about, because I just love sports so much. 
So it's just cool when you're in the environment. It kind of, not that you've got the adrenaline of the athletes, but you're feeding off that a little bit. You know, you see the TV cameras, the, sometimes the thousands and thousands of fans on the side of the, the Bob track or the, the stadium. And it certainly gets you kind of motivated. So I don't have, I don't think there's anything obvious from the sporting world. Um, probably more for me personally is working out, you know, yeah. different competitions I've done. I've probably had to dig deeper um, with some of the ultra endurance stuff I've done over the years. Um, that is a hundred percent mental. You, you have run multiple ultras. Yes. So Whew, I, man. holy smokes. Well, and I, I like to say this just a little background <laughs> because I am not, so all through high school, through college, I ran track at Ithaca college. I was, I am not a distance endurance person. I would, I was about as fast twitch uh, a yep. sprinter jumper as you could get growing up. I mean, I'm genetically steered toward, I was a that. hurdler. I was yeah. a decathlete. I was a jumper, a quarter mile or things like that. So I am not a gifted. So I always tell this story because people tend to get put off and think they can't do it because they ran the hundred meters in school or they never ran. And I'm like, no, the longer these events go, the more the percentage of just mental fortitude or gumption, if you want to call it, is plays the role in you finishing. It is totally not about agree. being gifted. Now, listen, it'd be totally different agree. for the, you know, the African runners or the you know the elite of the elite. That's a different story. But for regular Joe and Jane like you and me, just wanting to do the first marathon or finish a fifty mile run or do a, you know, twenty four hour obstacle race or something, it is all up in the brain. Period. Once you get by those first few hours. Every cell in your body at some point is going to be screaming at you to stop. Just walk or sit down and drop out. It'd be so easy to get on the bus and just go back to the, you know, get brought. So it's that ability to overcome those moments in ultra races that are the epitome of success. Because mm. they will happen. Yeah. And the hard thing, and I've been through several of them. Those times will come, but the thing you have to say, and it's so easy to say here and so freaking hard to do at the moment, is that they always pass those moments. There's always more, there's a light somewhere where you'll start to feel a little better. You'll get a little fourth wave or fifth wave. Um, and it's getting through those dark, dark moments without quitting is, is the key. And, you know, there's, I'm sure that you could spin that analogy to life and work and everything else too. Oh, sure. Um, so but, yeah, so I've, I so with that in mind, you don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be this slow twitch economic machine that ran, you know, Division One cross country uh, in school. So I got in, I got dared several years after chiropractic school to try a marathon. Yeah. So I did the Long Island Marathon back in like 2004-ish, something like that. First one. First one. Never had done a, I don't even know if I'd done a 10k or even a half marathon at that point oh, someone wow. just said i want to do, do you want to do that the, the marathon with me so i went down to long island did it finished it it wasn't pretty but it wasn't bad it was like 340 345 oh that's way faster than yeah, i would it, finish it was a good you know it was a solid but, time yeah that's great and then a couple years later i got sucked into trying an ironman now i had never swam in my life really not certainly not for distance um i had only done the one marathon before it um and the ironmans you know it's uh 2.4 mile swim, uh, 112 mile bike, and then then a full marathon, 26.2 mile yeah. run, and so I ended up doing Lake Placid Ironman in 06, 07, and 2009. So I did that three times. Wow! And That's then kind of so got cool. sick of that world. It was just too much with two kids and two two offices at the time. And that's so cool, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was good. And it's it, it it was something on the calendar like a lot of us need 
as a as a carrot to get me out of bed in the morning and, yes. to, and to work out on the crappy days. And um, I tell people, even if you just want to do it for fun and don't want to compete, getting something on the calendar is is a big step. Is a big step. That's the key for my whole whole success. Yeah. So I was telling you, I was I was kind of closet training for a marathon because mm-hmm. I didn't want to necessarily. Uh, for whatever reason, not do it and tell all of my friends and family that I was going to do it, and then, yep. which is a phobia I needed to get over in the first place. But um, I started becoming a lot more open with it, and I was ready. And then uh, it was canceled yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> like, well, it's so sad to admit it, but it's right. true. It's real life, man. And I, it's no longer on the calendar, so my motivation went zoop yep. right yep. down the drain. And uh, I haven't even run in in like over a month. Yeah, it's. T- and I, I need to get this. back out there, but it's it's true. Yeah, and I see it in my practice a lot the last few months. Is, yeah, this has just been, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, the difficult times, depending on you and your situation. But from just keeping it light and you know to deal dealing with sports and athletics is, it, not a day goes by I don't have a patient coming in that has had a race canceled. And yeah. what, do you, what do you do now? What do you do now? You know, that's the question. Yeah. And um, for some people, it's like, well, let's. Get, get something else on the calendar, even if it's likely it might be canceled. Get you know, at least you're not going to lose any money. They'll roll you over, do, but do something to keep motivating. And it comes back to our original thought: is just keep showing up every day. Yep. You know, you don't have to hit it hard if you're not feeling motivated. Listen to your body. Drop into just a little bit of a maintenance mode. You know, you don't have to go out there and ramp up the long runs or start throwing in hard intervals or whatever. Just just get out there and do something most days mm. just to keep your fitness level from plummeting. You know, just keep it maintaining until you get a focus again is what I've been saying to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a lot of gumption in that, actually. It's funny. Nobody on the podcast thus far has taken an angle like that where um, the daily or you know frequent moments of just consistency even if each moment is simplified down to a very small objective uh doing that just every day or whatever frequency you've decided for yourself consistently over a long period of time i feel like there's way more gumption in that than like a moment of stress that you like rose to the table and you found success you know that i agree long term consistency might be the hardest form of gumption there is because if you look at any trend that people or struggle that people want to accomplish like myself even just uh getting out there maybe to run a marathon or something like it's all mental and the consistency and the reason i haven't done it is because of that yeah that's a big that's a big realization yeah, and I think you know I, I might be screwing the quote up, but I, I and I yeah. don't know who said it, but there's something along the lines of you know I think it's to do with character, which you could certainly substitute gumption or grit or whatever for, but you know character is what you're what you do when no one else is looking. Mm-hmm. You know, are you gonna steal something off the shelf because someone you know the owner isn't looking the right way? Are you gonna throw a wrapper on the ground just because no one's seeing it? Or in our case that we've been talking about, are you? You roll over and ask Alexa that you know nineteen below with the wind blowing in February. Are you going to go and get your four or five miles in? Yeah. Um, no one's going to know. Now, you could argue everybody knows now with social media. You post it on Facebook, and and that's just a whole other 
annoyance in my life. It's just why, like, <laughs> come on, man. We don't, you know, it's like Strava is great. Where's the of privacy and, anymore? Well, yeah. it's just, yeah. Now, now I guess you you could. And, and listen, I, I like to I'm, sound like an old fart with social media. <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I, that said, I have a lot of people that that's a huge motivator for them. You know, it's kind of public accountability. And if, sure. hey, if, if posting that you're doing a race on Facebook or Strava or whatever is, or posting your workouts gets you out of bed, so be it. I'm not, I, I didn't want to come across as being anti, whatever works for you, man. I'm a pretty progressive person like that. I don't care. As long as you're not bothering me, um, yeah. whatever works for you, man, you do it, you know? So a uh, little uh, t- advice then maybe for uh, the winter uh, outdoor workouts, because, um, I guess maybe my lack of experience, uh, I'm sure there's tons of stuff online that I could find, but what, what is the proper safe dress for say a run, uh, when it's below zero, that's like, seems like half the battle is like making sure you're like, if you can get yourself out there and you know, you're wearing something that is safe enough for the activity Maybe not perfect, but like, what's your mindset well, there? I mean, the fact is this: is is there is a t- t- my cheap answer is there is no really right because yeah. the humans are so different, and, and yeah. partly also what you're acclimatized to. You know, is I am good after all these years of going out all winter long. I am good as long as the wind isn't blowing too hard. I'm in shorts if it's anything basically down to about thirty degrees. So if it's 29, 30, 32, 33, and the wind isn't blowing too bad, I'm comfortable in shorts for up to an hour. I'll go for mm-hmm. an hour run with mm-hmm. nothing. But that's me. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife would think I was crazy. You know, she was, I think she went out this morning with long tights on, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it felt, thought it what felt chilly it? Like at 66 high, degrees high, yeah, or high so. 60s. Yeah. <laughs> with a stiff wind, you know? Um, but, I, you know, the, the cliche answer is always layers. I mean, the fact is, if you're only going out, like most of us, um, for a you know, 30 to maybe an hour, hour 10 for a normal midweek workout. Um, as long as your hands and kind of head are covered, you're not likely going to kill yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, what's the worst case you're going to get cold and then you'll be back in your house in 45 minutes. Um, so I, a lot of that just, it's a, it's a, not a good answer. I know that you're looking for, but yeah, it's, it's mental, but it's also just figuring out your system. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing it so long. If I know it's 30 to 40, this is what I'm going to be wearing. Mm-hmm. If it's 10 below, I need, I know I need a pair of shorts under my tights and I'm going to wear this jacket uh, and this pair. And that's where I switch to mittens. You know what I mean? If it's 40 or 50, this, you know, so on and so forth. So it's just, oh, I think it's just a matter of experience. Mm-hmm. The big thing I think people worry about that knock on wood, I've never had an issue is slipping. Mm. You know, so there, if that's a concern, you know, they make so many devices for the bottoms of your sneakers, little slip-on, you know, spikes and studs and things like that. I don't run in them. Um, I'm just kind of careful. But, um, yeah, that's probably more people's concern is is just slipping with, you know, you get that. And it can be tricky, especially in the city here. You're running on sidewalks, you know, a little dusting of snow, and you just can't see the big patches of black ice under the snow. And so I've almost gone down a few times, but I don't know. I'm young. I, I figure odds of breaking something significantly aren't that that good, and so I kind of think it's almost like a good balance yeah. training as well. I kind of keep my reflexes up yeah. a little bit, but um, no, it's just you'll figure it out. You'll okay. figure it out. It's getting out the door. The dressing part's easy. It really oh, is for sure. For sure. That's what David Goggins says, right? I guess. Yeah. yeah. He's he's a little he's a little intense. Well, but the other thing good, too, yeah. I'll be. And it makes me sound even weirder, but, but I, I, yet another thing, I have a streak going. We talked about my workouts and my work, yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Um, I, I'd have to look at my my uh, 
my log, but I, I want to say I'm in my third or fourth year of ice, ice cold showers every day. I've not really? missed a day. Um, so I, at least once a day, I finish uh, a shower on 100% cold water for one, one minute minimum. Um, so there's a guy, you know, quite famous now called Wim Hof, um, who's kind of this breathing and ice water that's kind of, and there's some interesting research. It's still kind of young, but it's, there's some definite interest in, uh, cold water immersion for improving immunity, um, cold water for improving circulation, some interesting stuff with longevity, just living a little longer, but the immunity is, is definitely kind of promising. And I just do it more. So even if all that is wrong, I like mental challenges yeah and i find it well there he is it comes back to increasing gumption you probably don't grit. need as much coffee in the morning if you i'm don't. a coffee addict oh, too, me but too. That's all right. <laughs> um it there is it's funny especially okay so i get up in the morning you know let's say i go for a run at 10 below in february and you come in you're freezing you're in the hot water and i am just staring at that knob trying to psych myself up to turn that knob to ice cold um, that for something relatively harmless, that is as tough a challenge. Oh at my times, God. Yeah. Um, to stare that knob down when you're in the hot, steamy water, ready to psych yourself up. You and ever, yeah, sorry. I no, interrupted you. No, no, no. You it, ever the, heard of uh Boda Boda in Montreal? Yeah. The spa. It's like a spa. Yeah. I've thing. heard of it. Yep. Well, anyhow, I, I went there, uh, with a group of people, uh, it was like a work function kind of celebration mm-hmm. thing. And we, uh, we went to Boda Boda, and that was my first like real exposure to uh, like cold, cold water, water Im- stuff, yeah. immersion. And so you kind of got into this circuit of like you know the salt, uh, yeah, sauna. Yep. And then you could go into the hot tub type thing, and then the kind of average water, and then you'd go into the real cold yeah. water. Yep. And then you kind of just do this cycle as you felt the right. need to rotate. And uh, I remember at, like later that day. You know, we did it in the morning through like noon ish, and then I remember just like four o'clock or so. I just all of a sudden felt like, like it yeah. was just like this feeling of like, oh my god, it's my body just went through this like crazy like yeah and thing. And I I did a lot of research after, and you can correct me if my yeah, my science sure. is right or wrong, but it sounded like um, there's a lot of evidence to say that we you know we work out our mind. You know, reading is a great. Mm -hmm. uh exercise to keep your mind sharp we work out our our muscles and our cardio with you know actual exercise but there's very few things that we actually do to work out quote unquote our endocrine system and yeah and when you shock your body like that you're actually helping to your body clean out toxins and to your point i mean more specifically so so what seems to be the current trend with research with this is not only cold immersion, but the opposite of that as well, is there's a lot of research being done with hot training, uh, saunas in particular, yeah. dry saunas. And they're two fairly different mechanisms. You know, obviously the mental grit is is similar in that it's it's hard to sit in a hundred and, you know, whatever, 80 degree sauna. Um, that That's, it's almost, and there seems to be with the heat training, there's just a study a couple of weeks ago that came out with, it does improve endurance performance without working out at all. So it seems to be that sitting in a super hot sauna is there's a metabolic crossover very similar to actually working out. And you think about it, it makes sense. You're sweating, your heart rate's increasing, your breathing rate increases. Um, so there's something metabolic that carries mm. over to improve performance as well. Um, but in that case, 
most of the the benefits, and there's benefits for longevity as well. People seem to live longer that do regular sauna use. Um, and there's something called heat shock proteins that are kind of the current rage in this thing called mTOR. And you yeah. know, don't have to get into that. The cold, um, we're not sure exactly the immunity angle that, that seems to be going, but the, the thing with cold immersion, that can be cold water. It came up with Michael Phelps in the last Olympics where he was famously, they did a little NBC, did a little interview with him where he said he was eating 10,000 calories a day yep. and I staying remember shredded. Watching that. Yep. Well, one of the theories is that is he's also spending hours a day in relatively cold water because those guys keep that their the pool water quite cold when they're working out like that. I would want to, yeah. I think, I don't know exactly, but I think yeah. it's in the low 70s, which is quite cold if you're in yeah. there for hours. And so that actually, cold water stimulates um, something called brown fat, brown adipose, which is almost non-existent in our current uh, human condition that was much more prevalent uh, you know, thousands of years ago. And one of the biggest deposits is in that upper thoracic, kind of mm -hmm. upper back. And so there's something that happens when that area is stimulated by cold that seems to increase metabolism, particularly with fat burning. Hmm. Um, but again, so even, a, but I, that's all awesome and a cool bonus. But for me, it's just more the mental challenge yeah. of cranking that cold. So my routine is always uh, just to make sure I'm not cheating the minute. I take my shower, I get all soaped up, all shampooed. Then I turn it to cold. Oh, so there's man. none of this like just keeping a leg under the water. You've yeah. got to rinse off and rinse your head. And I, I think I might have said this on Gillen's, but I'll say it again because as long as you don't have any heart issues, you don't get checked out by your yeah, doc right. first. But yeah. if you're interested in trying it, uh, Wim Hof, H-O-F-F, -F, the guy who kind of originated this out of uh, the Netherlands, I believe, he always had this challenge where you just start with like 10 or 15 seconds and take a few weeks, maybe a month to build up to doing it for a minute. But if you want to try it, now is the time because- In the I, summer. Well, yeah. I want to chalk this up to one of the things you never thought about in my entire life until I started doing this a few years ago is how much colder the cold water is in winter than it is in the summer. You just Ooh. think of cold water being cold water. No, no. It, it's coming from those pipes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, something I never even crossed my brain. The but pipes that you actually sometimes, depending on your house, are worried about freezing. Well, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, so I would say right now, it, to me, after years of this, it's hardly even, I don't even feel it cold this time of year. February, it's like ice cream headache, like cold. You know, it's, oh, I don't know what it man. gets down to, but it's got to be upper 40s maybe 50 at the warmest but so anyway anyway in interesting challenge so holy smokes man <laughs> jeez okay that's that's cool though that's cool you got something for me to think about i'll I'm have to let you know whether i actually I never said uh, i was normal yeah anybody who knows me well i'm a bit of an extremist with things so. <laughs> no that's that's cool and there's definitely uh i can i can see and envision the gumption moment of staring at this <laughs> Try it. Like, oh god i gotta turn this thing man yeah well, that's cool though, and, right. I, and it's cool. There's science behind it. Yeah. You know, that's that's what's I, seems I like to be. That. Um, one more question before we get to the rapid fire section here. Uh, you've done a lot with the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Very cool accolade, you know, to take with you through your career, and I'm sure it's helped you in your career. Uh, you've done what, USA Nationals and events and other things like uh, right um, of that level. Um, yep. I may be mispronouncing or, or miscategorizing it, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You're, you're teaching for rock tape. You've done a lot of cool stuff. You do a lot of keynotes. Uh, you've published papers. So moving into the future, what is what is your next uh, big goal that you'd like to accomplish that 
you'd at least be willing to share on the podcast? Um, it's a tough question. Yeah, because you, you know the period we're talking in the theme of of just showing up every day. Yeah. So is is there something that you're hoping to show up every day for to hopefully get to? Well, yeah, I don't know if as a goal is more something that would be interesting to me. So I, my love, my whole life has been um, track and field running. I mean, it's what I grew up doing. It's what I was probably best at athletically. And, and I've just the last, and COVID put a bit of a dent in this, but um, just two years ago, I finally got my foot in the door working with USA Track and Field. Nice. It's been a tough one because there are so many of them are based out west, just for obvious reasons with the weather and everything else. Everything the, we talked about with yeah, the weather up here. Exactly. Yeah. It does not, you know, does not build good fast twitch athletes is yeah. in the Northeast. That's why so many of the sprinters and jumpers are based out of Southern California, Texas, Florida, things like that. So, you know, it's it's been a tough in, and I, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to get called to work the Penn Relays down in Philadelphia, which are one of the oldest relay events, and that was my foot in the door. And it was a bummer. I was supposed to work an event internationally with them this summer, and then obviously everything mm-hmm. got shut down. Yep. So I guess short-term goal over the next, you know, short-term if you consider it the next uh, – well, I would say one or two years, but with COVID, who knows? Five maybe, years. maybe two or three or four yeah. years. But I would, yeah, I would really love to start doing some more events with with track and field. I love the people. I'm, I'm knowledgeable yeah. about it, and just from a pure coolness factor, yeah, that would be me. Um, lifestyle goals. I I love travel, mm. so um, I'm really again. I, it, I have never in my adult life gone this long without being on a plane. Um, it's bizarre <laughs> strange, to me. Huh? I mean, it really yeah. is. It's very strange. Um, and about f- three or four years ago, I, I finally took the step of taking a two-week vacation. Um, so I had gone 16 or 17 years without ever taking more than a week off at a time. And I finally said enough was enough. I had a great office manager that could at least hold the fort down for two weeks. So for the last, until this summer, the last three years, um, I've closed for a couple of weeks in July and spent all my points I've accumulated from all my travel. And, and we've just tried to put together a, a cool two week vacation internationally somewhere. Nice. Um, it's probably my other big gift is travel hacking mm-hmm. and people joke, patients joke with me all the time. Like I'll pay you. Can you help put a vacation yeah. together? So um, I just really hope to start adding as soon as we can travel safely again. I'd love to start continuing to add countries to my list. I have like a never-ending want-to-do list and want-to-see yep. list. And I've been really gifted in, in that and blessed in that I've, I think I'm up to 25, 26, oh, cool. 27 countries I've been in. Cool. And I only have two states left, 48 of the 50 states I've been in. Nice. Um, so What are the final two? Alaska and North Dakota. Oh, okay. So I'm hoping to get a class scheduled in one of those. I can yeah. take it off professionally. Yeah. But So I'd say, you know, just lifestyle wise i'd like to really start to explore even more um than the little free time i do have so you've been to ireland i have no, uh, kind of i mean i was in dublin for five days for a okay. conference i had to teach at okay. um but didn't really get more than a few miles out of the city so oh, okay. that, that's a big one and i haven't been to scotland so um, okay my wife and i were supposed to go uh this well first week of july yep. this month to Dublin and France. We were doing like oh, a nice. combo because the cheap flights in between the yep. two just worked out. So we were going to do a little combo. Neither of us have been to those two. And, uh, well. Yeah, they're great. We're, yeah, we, we, we're, we're not. We didn't go, obviously. No, <laughs> no and I, I luckily this took yeah. hold. I didn't even end up booking something for the summer when I saw yeah. the writing on the wall. Yeah. Um, 
we had a great one last summer. I, I couldn't highly I recommend any higher. I actually just went with my wife and I for this trip. Um, we did two weeks in Vietnam. Very and cool. Went around the whole country. And that was my first time to Southeast Asia. Um, been to Australia and New Zealand a few times, yep, but I've been never, to Australia. Yep. yeah, never Southeast Asia proper. And, and it was magical, man. I really sucked me in super inexpensive. I, I would vote it some of the best food in the planet. Um, Very cool. and yeah, the beaches and the mountains and everything in between. It was, yeah, it was great. So hopefully more trips like that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Uh Oh, the infamous rapid fire section where we're going to wrap this sucker up here. Uh, are you ready, sir? Yeah, you. I feel like it's uh, inside the actor studio. With, uh, <laughs> what's the questionnaire by yeah. Bernard Pivot? Is yeah, that the right, one I right, said? Right. Here we go. Okay, right. number one. What's a book that you would gift to a friend, and why? Um, I have two. Okay, that's fine. That I've kind of gifted over the years for anybody lacking in motivation or an aging runner. Although I certainly would carry over to athletics in general, whether you're a biker, or rower, or whatever. Uh, there's a book called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. Um, I know it's a long title by a Japanese novelist, very famous Japanese novelist that I had never heard of before this book. His last name is, um, I knew I was going to forget. Mira, <laughs> I think, don't quote me, Mirakami, M-I-R-I-K-I-M. I don't know. You have to look it up on Amazon. Okay, but okay. What, what I, I Talk, talk About, about yeah. When I Talk About Running. And Got it's basically it. this, it's an it's a autobiography of this Japanese author and it's I think it's one of his first forays into nonfiction and it's just him and his thoughts in the several months building up to running uh, I want to say the New York City Marathon and what it means to now be he's a professor he's working I think he was working at Harvard at the time or at my MIT one or the other and he's just it's kind of this autobiography what do I do I'm feeling bad I'm aging why am I so frustrated I can't run the times I did 10 years ago, why is my body kind of revolting against me? And, and this concept of, and I've had this asked to me so many times after these long, long runs or, or races, someone will say like, you know, what'd you think about that whole time? And the, the, I think the quote from him was, that's so brilliant is everything and nothing. You know, it's just, it's this constant <laughs> yes. fleeting thoughts that kind of yes. uh, dance their way in and whisk their way out without ever really focusing or thinking of them. Um, and there's some kind of, I don't know, kind of beauty to that. And so that that's a good one. Um, I like it. Beautifully written by, a, like I said, a, a renowned novelist um, to do with just the aging body and how you're dealing with it as a runner. Um, the other one I love is... Um, have you ever heard the ego is the enemy? Ryan Holiday. No. Um, so he's written several books, uh, the Daily Stoic. But his initial book, I think, was uh, the ego is the enemy, and it kind of went viral with a lot of sports teams. I know Belichick, uh, you know, was one of the I think wrote a review in the book, and he's just a big like I am. I've kind of developed this philosophy of stoicism. Mm-hmm. As you can tell by my mm-hmm. cold showers and yeah. 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 Uh, fasting <laughs> most days, I do a lot of fasting as well and have yep. good luck with that. And so it's just this concept of, of a lot of work coming from Marcus Aurelius, you know, a thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, um, about these stoic philosophers that if you occasionally make your daily life hard, it will make the true hard times that much more manageable. Um, to phrase it a different way is yeah. – is, the quicker you can become comfortable with being uncomfortable, 
life is much easier. Yep. And so, you know, going back, you know, Marcus Aurelius' original book was called Meditations. It was basically his personal journal that he never thought would be published. And someone found it years later and published it under the name Medita- uh, Meditations. And it's just stuff like one day a week, sleep on the floor. Uh, one day a week, you know, don't eat for 24 hours and kind of learn what hunger is, learn what being uncomfortable is and kind of just this hardening yourself, preparing for the worst mentally and physically will make those hard times if they do arrive that much easier to deal with. So that's kind of, if you haven't been able to tell from the last two hours of talking, that's kind of an underlying philosophy with me. And it carries over nicely if you want to try doing ultra endurance stuff. I like that a lot. Because it all sucks. I like that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I, uh, I'm taking a digression here again from our rapid fire, but uh, intermittent fasting? Yes. You're a fan? Uh, it works for me. And I'm I've been doing s- it since COVID started in, well, for me, I probably started in April. Okay. So I started 2012. Oh, wow. You got you got some uh, more experience. Way, way early. Like I was, I had read something in this <laughs> hey small man, little article. <laughs> no, no. So I can, I can talk with authority on this. Um, again, I, not to get into the rabbit hole with it, but uh, not for everybody. Yeah. Um, but forget all the possible benefits. So there seems to be uh, some decent research, on, again, on longevity. The people. It's across, easy to stick with. I find it super convenient. It's very easy to stick I've with. I've never been a big breakfast person. Um, I, just a black coffee in the morning. Yes. And your day is off and running. Right. So yeah. the days I work long at the office, I go in late morning till about 6, 6.30. I don't take lunch. I don't take a break. I just go nonstop from the minute I go in till I finish. Um, so I always tell like my office manager, I go, when I hired her, I was like, don't. Don't feel the need to be a moron like me. Just go get yourself lunch. I just, I'm so used to it. So on days I work, I only have dinner. Mm. I, I, maybe I'll have a snack, you know, if I'm up late mm-hmm. uh, you know, at, at 11 or something like that, some trail mix or something. But um, yeah, so I would say at least two to three days a week, I only eat one meal. I'll have about seven o'clock, 7.30, I'll have dinner. And, and then just a couple, you know, two or three mugs of black coffee in the morning. Um, so I work out fasted, I do everything and then I'll eat hours later. Now people go, Oh, how do you, I'd pass out. I did. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, the first two or three weeks with anything can be a little rough, uh, just transitioning your body. But if you put all the potential benefits aside, again, it comes back to the mental, the stoicism is I think there's particularly in this society, American society with the obesity rates we have, I think there is something to be gleaned from learning what actual hunger is Mm. and not eating out of habit because it's noon. Oh, it's 12. I better have lunch. Well, let's, why don't you take a minute, be a little mindful and see, am I really hungry? Um, Am I not really hungry? So when you do a little bit of kind of intermittent fasting and going for extended periods without any food, it does definitely make you more aware of what, what is hunger, hunger is, right? It, am I full? Or yeah, that's right. Or am yeah. I uh, habit? And people always say, "Well, don't you just eat a bunch at dinner when you?" I'm like, "No, you basically eat. I get full the same amount of food than if I had two other meals during the day." Um, so again, it's not anything I'm going to say is is a go to for everybody. By far, you know, not not that sorry, not that at all. But um, I think it's interesting if you're a healthy person to to kind of maybe give it a try or do a little reading. You could just Google intermittent fasting protocols. What have you, if you don't mind? Oh, I'm doing the uh, sixteen the, eight. Yeah. So you're eating like a late I, lunch, I'm, and then... I'm uh, 
Yeah, it, and usually the lunch I've lately I've been trying to keep it to more like high antioxidant like nuts and berries and things okay. like that, and uh, you know more of like a snack lunch mm-hmm. to kind of break the fast. Yep, and then, then obviously black coffee in the morning, and I'm trying to cut off around like eight. But um, yeah. you know, as someone who's still very new to this, you know, I, I, I life hits you, and like we go to do something and we're eating yep. until you know yep. nine yep so then i just tell myself okay well i would have normally started at noon ish mm-hmm. and now i'm going to start at one ish right. you know yeah. so i still get that same period of time and then i try and reset the day by stopping at eight again yeah that's cool yeah so 16 eight <laughs> it's working if you pretty didn't good mention, i don't know if you've mentioned this in pri- a prior podcast but no basically it means you're fasting for 16 hours eating in an eight hour window yep. and that's that seems to be the 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 Consistent research, the benefits do seem to be the the more you can narrow the eating window, the better the benefits. So Interesting. The, the number of hours you're taking in calories. Um, so some people will go really extreme and do a 20-hour fast, four-hour of eating. So maybe you have some food at four and then again at like eight or nine. That's kind of what you're doing on a on a work day. Well, I'm just right? – I'm doing a – Straight, just one yeah, meal. Basically a tw- like yeah, basically, one hour. meal in the evening. Yeah, maybe a snack after that. But um, yeah. And again, that's pretty extreme. But again, I I felt good doing it when I experimented. It was actually when I was away for the London Olympics. Um, hmm. I was gone for nine weeks straight, the longest I've ever been away, um, with the New Zealand cycling team. I spent a year off and on traveling with, and we did a, an Olympic build-up camp. And it was me and two of the other staff members. Um, we had a, a weight loss competition. We were just to try to motivate ourselves on the road to kind of keep working out and eating right. We had the skin calipers to check body fat, and we we did a body fat competition. It was who could lose the most body fat oh, wow. in like six or seven weeks. So yeah. I went hardcore because we put like a hundred bucks in each or something. You know, I was like winner take all. And yeah. Um, did you win? I did by like a couple <laughs> of millimeters. It was super close. We were all really motivated, but I just started doing the intermittent fasting. I'd have black coffee and then I'd eat lunch with the team at like one. And then again at like six or seven for dinner, I was working out every day. And, uh, I just really, after the first two or three weeks, I just responded well, me, you know, I, yeah. I, I feel good. I like the convenience yeah. when I'm traveling and not have to worry about, Oh God, I'm going to starve to death if I can't eat for four hours. Um, and I'm comfortable with that. So, you know, I like it. Cool. I like it. We can talk more about that too. I, uh, I, I, it's worked really well for me. And honestly, um, after the first few days or, or so, it, it very quickly turned around where I felt just better. Yeah. Yeah. More, more alert, right. You know, more ready to go in the morning with my cup of coffee than, than almost sluggish. Cause I now have this belly full of breakfast in yes. me. and that was just me. No, know? but that seems to be a current yeah. recurring theme in most of the studies, anecdotal or otherwise, is that there does seem to be a mental acuity benefit when you're fasting. Yeah. Now, some people argue that could be the ketone bodies that are developing if you fast long enough. These, well, it doesn't these, take a little longer for ketones it to does. be developed. Yep, but, it does. Yeah. Um, but there's, it seems to be, because people that do extended fast, like my longest, just for a challenge, I did three and a half days a couple of years ago with nothing oh, wow. but um, uh, water. I did, no, I did. I did do include. I did do black coffee. That's which ketosis, is, though. Oh for yeah, sure. for sure. And I, um, the first day was the hardest, and then I really felt pretty good. And I was working out every day. Mm. Um, so your body can do crazy. Things. If you want to, again, last comment on this. I know you, <laughs> there's no more rapid fire. Um, I always ask this question when I do talks because this always seems to come up. Do you know what the longest recorded record for fast is? 
and this was a medically supervised fast in a hospital setting. Do you know how, how many days do you think? It was a guy in the, oh, I, don't quote me, I want to say 50s or 60s. How many days did he fast with nothing but water and uh, electrolyte supplements, so no calories? Boy, uh, I would guess maybe seven days. I don't know. That seems... Almost a full year. It was like, I, I have to look back. What? It was like 350-something days with not a calorie. Now, he was obese. He was about 400 pounds when he went in. They did blood work almost daily. They were checking metabolic uh, metabolic rates. They were doing you know ev- every panel at least on a weekly basis. It was published. You can Google. Oh my god! If you, there's That's a whole crazy. article with pictures of this guy, and it, he basically it came out skinny. It was like. within a week or two of a year, <laughs> give or take. It was right around a year. And yeah, I think he got down to 180 pounds. And interestingly, followed him for several years after, and he never. I don't think he ever put on again more than. 15 or 20 pounds on either side of that 180. So it was almost like he reset his entire system. The thing that I, the reason I bring this up is the biggest myth with this intermittent fasting that you still hear is what is that? Oh, aren't you worried your body goes into starvation mode? It's going to slow your metabolism down. All this. Do you know that at that guy after a year without a calorie, his metabolic rate was essentially unchanged. The That's body crazy. self-adapted, and he was burning just as many calories on a per-pound basis as he was at 400 pounds and eating, you know, constantly. So, if you want to, you can Google that article. Uh, longest recorded medical fast, I think it was out of Harvard. So, I'm, I'm definitely going to look article. that up. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes there are doubts in my mind. I'm like, boy, I don't know if I've researched this enough. Maybe I am slowing down my. And the point but it doesn't feel like it is. I feel like well, so. That's the uh, ultimate, you know, right? Like, I tell everyone, how do you feel? Yeah. Yeah, Don't exactly. worry about what people are telling you or the aunt that says they read this here or they saw a show on Dr. Phil or what, you know, how do you feel? I tell people in my office every day, even with exercises, I'm like, like, doc, yeah, this uncle showed me my back's been hurting me. So they, when his back hurt, he, he showed me this exercise and I, well, how do you feel when you're done doing it? Yeah. Do you feel better or do you feel worse? And I, go, I actually kind of feel like it's worse. I'm like, well, stop <laughs> doing that then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's stupid, but it's really that simple. Yeah. Do you feel better after you get off the foam roller? Yeah, it's like way better. It hardly hurts for like an hour. I'm like, well, keep doing that then. Yeah. You know, the body, your body and brain aren't really stupid that way. That that it's not gonna something isn't gonna feel good when it's doing harm. You know what I mean? Yep. Um. Yep. So yeah, if 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 it works for you, body's pretty tolerable as a year fast. I love it. All right, man. We'll keep going. Rapid fire. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Got a few more. Question number two. Uh, what's a piece of advice that you would go back and give? To your 18-year-old self, if you could, knowing what you know now. Travel. Travel. I would have stopped. I I wasn't, as crazy as it sounds now, as many countries I said I've been to, I didn't get on an airplane until I was 21. Mm. It was my first flight. Um, You know, we didn't have a ton of money growing up, and and vacation for us was, uh, you know, two weeks on the dirt camping in Maine uh, in a tent. Um, in the summer. And so I didn't get a plane until I graduated from, after I graduated college, my girlfriend, now my wife, actually, um, we flew out to Phoenix to see a relative out there. I would have, in hindsight, I probably would have said, take a year or two. Yeah. Either before college or right after, probably after college, before grad school. Um, I would have just done a year or two and just figured out life on the road, bounce around Europe, bounce around something. Um, Cause I, I really regret that. Yeah. Now that I'm doing that now when I'm 38, 40, 45, yep. Yep. trying to catch up and it's harder. <laughs> yeah. It's more expensive Yeah, and uh, kids, you know? So, yep. Yep. I, uh, I think, um, I think there's a lot of value in, uh, taking any opportunity you can at a young age to travel. I studied abroad and, 
uh, Australia for six months mm-hmm. as part of just undergrad. What like town? Doing, uh, I was in Townsville. Yeah. Northeastern, just south of like Cairns. Cairns is a big yep. vacation spot. And yep. Spent a lot of time on the Great Barrier Reef, which was awesome. Yeah. It's, I could take a whole another three-hour podcast to talk about that. But <laughs> the number of, particularly in the North Country, that have never left the North Country is alarming. It's perspective. It is. and You gain perspective the more you've seen and experienced. Yeah. The people that have grown up here 67 years old, never been to Boston, never been to New York City, never been to Montreal in some cases. Crazy. Um, and I think they're missing out. Yeah. I mean, as much good as this area has, again, you said it right, is, is it is perspective, particularly in today's day and age. Yep. Can't tell the people, oh, you're going to Vietnam. You're crazy. You're doing this. You're going to... I'm like, turn off the news once in a while. And most people in this world are pretty damn nice people. Yep. And if you head on your shoulders, don't flash wealth around in the middle of the street, you're going to be just fine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Question number three. Uh, if you could put up a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you put it and what would you put on it? More so, I'm interested in what you would put on it, but it might be fun to hear where you where you would put it. I to. thought about this. Um, you know, if you're looking for the betterment of society, you know, economically, physically, uh, you know, bang for your buck, how do we trim the most money from the budget we spend a year? It would probably be a billboard in whatever the busiest intersect, Times Square, maybe. And I would probably just say, eat less. <laughs> you know? I really yeah. thought about that one. I'm like, because that's it. Obesity is everything. Yeah. I mean, because you look at the top four killers in the U.S., uh, or certainly they, they bounce around the top five, oh, is yeah. heart disease, stroke, cancer, and diabetes is usually way up there. Every single one of those is related to lifestyle. Yeah. You know, and obesity being the un- the driver of almost all of them. Certainly heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. Um, and there's certainly some links with certain types of cancers as well. Um, but could you imagine if we could just like have the cost to society of heart disease, stroke, and diabetes? Oh, I, wow. I, I mean, it would be... Yeah. Might actually be able to afford college. Yeah. If we did. <laughs> yeah. So that's true. it. Eat less. It's true. It's true. It's actually a... a you know, that's a really good point. We could probably... <laughs> I feel like there's a theme here to the rapid fire. It's actually every single one of these Medi- questions could now fire. go into a, Different podcast. a three-hour podcast. Do a series. The, on the book, on the 18-year-old advice, on the billboard. Maybe do a health and wellness <laughs> series. We can just do uh, – That would be good. Yes, a that stoic w- series. It would be good. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, since we went there, real quick, if you can. It's probably unfair to ask you to answer this quick, but how does that – I, I – agree with you i feel that uh and there are people who are diabetic in my family uh probably because of lifestyle choices where's the line between genetics of of like obesity and lifestyle obesity because i know there's a lot of uh pop culture and media out there of uh you know, body shaming stuff yeah. too. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I don't think you I want, don't, we want everybody to be healthy. Right. And I, I know, I know exactly what you're saying with your, your billboard is like, like, let's all be healthier. Well, and I'm not even talking, yeah, I wasn't even, I, and I, in retrospect, I, I hope that didn't come across as crass. I didn't mean it. Cause even like, Oh no, no, you it, and I me, don't think it did. I know you exactly and me, you, mean, you know, I but, put on, yeah. I, I don't even dare get on the scale cause since COVID, I mean, I've probably just known how I'm, you know, pulling a little harder on the belt, you know, yeah. the belt buckle. Um, so I don't even want to know, but I'd guess I've probably put on a good 10 or 15 pounds the yeah. last four months. Um, 
So, but so that even applies to me. You yes. know that I think most people would do better just eating a little bit less. Yes. Um, now to get to your last question, I don't know that anybody has that answer. I don't know that yeah. the research is out there as well, what percentage is genetic to mm-hmm. uh, overweight or obesity versus just lifestyle and bad choices. Um, I'm sure it's a sliding spectrum. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything that's 100% genetic versus 100% lifestyle yeah. as far as overweight. Yeah. Um, it's certainly somewhere on that scale. Um, but I certainly think without being a researcher in this field, I would certainly put a few bucks on the fact that at least the majority of it is lifestyle related Yep. in, in the majority of the cases, I, I would say to be kind of play it safe. We've built a culture around, uh, uh, around profit, make it American dream and kind of slipped in there was this like, oh yeah. And don't, don't, uh, prioritize yourself, prioritize the company you work for or like the growth of your career, you know, right. and people are now doing the fast food lunch thing. And, I, you know, yep. so I get exactly where you're coming from. And that's like a cultural yeah. problem. The author, Michael Pollan, you familiar with him, yes. Omnivore's Dilemma and yep. a few books, you know, his famous uh, phrase from that initial book that kind of went, went big on him was seven words to live by nutritionally is eat food mainly plants um what was the last part i should have brought it up <laughs> eat food mainly plants um you know and like a little bit or something like yeah. that so basically the, the takeaway is eating real food yeah not the process the box yeah. like eating real food and then mainly plants um it, you can't go wrong with that advice so. yeah i love it i love it i think i think you're on point all right that's good uh number four yep uh, what's your favorite meal? That's a tough one. Um, you know, if we, can I, can I go local with that? Can I go super specific? Sure. Just cause they're my, my neighborhood joint and that we're, there awesome. like, we're there like twice a week. My wife yeah. and I, that my kids are older. I'd say whatever good IPA they have on tap and the thin crust pizza at Mickey's. Bingo. Love it. That's, yeah. I like that a lot. Nice IPA pizza. <laughs> I have weird top, big surprise with me, but some sort of like meat and then broccoli. I like big, broccoli. I'm on a big, pizza. I, big IPA guy. Yeah. Fan. So there you now, go. Now I found an alternative. Here we go. Digression again. Just keep doing this. Uh, at the co-op, there is this new product called Hop Tea. Oh, all right. So if you're not, if you're looking for the the flavor. crisp flavor yeah. of tea, yeah, or excuse me, of hops, right? Uh, but maybe it's like the afternoon and you clearly yeah. are not in a position to, to drink <laughs> or, uh, you know, and you maybe still have to work, Interesting. but maybe you want a little bit of caffeine or something. They have various levels of caffeine. All right. It's right there, downtown Plattsburgh. I tried this. It's, it comes in a can, like a 16 ounce beer can. Okay. Look, I got to try crack it. it open and there's green tea, black tea, all these, but it's carbonated and there's a hop back flavor. Nice. Like, like I'll, you're drinking a beer. I'll it's, give it a try. It's really cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, number five, what's your favorite band? You a music yeah. lover? You like? Yeah, I am, yeah. but it's super diverse. Like okay. I am all over the board. I grew yeah. up playing a couple of instruments, not not well, but you know, sax and piano lessons cool. of most of my childhood. And I think you go old school for me. I mean, I could name a few. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big Zeppelin guy. Nice. Um, but you know, you give me one di- one person to listen to. I, I know it's a little bit cliche. I, I'm a huge Billy Joel guy. 
Oh, I he's love good. It. Especially the older, you know, pre-80s. Um, best concert, one of the best concerts I've been to. We got to see him a few years ago at Madison Square Garden. His he does that, show. like, monthly. Yep. Yep. That was awesome. Um, more recently, I'd say I, I'm a big Foo Fighters guy. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love Foo Fighters. So. Nice. I like it. This is a uh, curveball question, number six. Uh, if you could spend a day with any historical figure, who would you choose to spend a day with? They can be alive or deceased. Uh, it doesn't matter. But who would you choose to spend a day with and why? Well, maybe it'd be a good spill off our previous talk, but maybe Marcus Aurelius. Ah, there you go. About that, the, the yeah. father of Stoicism. I could hear, I've read the books, I've read his you know, meditations. So I'm going to go safe. I'm saying Marcus Aurelius. I like it. Okay, here's my favorite question of every podcast that I always ask. Number seven, if we could put together a three-person board of directors to guide and mentor you through the rest of your life, who would those three people be on your personal board of directors? They can be alive, deceased, famous, or not, but who are the three people and why would you choose them? That's a hard question. (laughs) I'm actually, I joke because I I thought about that. I, I've got, I'm going to really be a cheese ball. I'm going to say I'm putting Marcus Aurelius back on my board. That's from fine. a philosophy, sure. uh, social kind of perspective. I am absolutely because he was kind of a hero, and I just can't watch this guy enough. And from a travel perspective, I am throwing Tony Bourdain. Okay, uh, on my board. Unfortunately, now yeah, deceased as right. well. Um, I. You know, I'd probably have to do – I thought long and hard about this one. I, you know, I, I'm going to say for all the stuff he did athletically and now socially, he says, and he was just an, a complete idol of mine growing up, was Edwin Moses. So if people that are – yeah, you're young. See, Edwin Moses <laughs> is the him. greatest 400-meter hurdler in the history of the world. Really? Uh, competed at the Montreal Olympics. In fact, there's some stories. Uh, my old um, uh, track coach – uh, saw him that he they used Plattsburgh State's track as a warm up. The team USA no did kidding. before going into the village of Montreal. And Edwin Moses, don't quote me, but he had a um, unbeaten streak in races of like eleven years. He didn't lose a four hundred hurdle race. It was like a hundred and ten. Wow. That's unheard meets. of today. It's it's insane. The guy was a freak, and then just one of the most famous guys in the world during that era, and now just like super socially active and just a well-educated stand-up dude. So I think from a fitness perspective, I'm throwing a nod to Edwin Moses. I like it. Cool, man. I like it. Well, this is it, man. This has been great. I really appreciate you coming in and sitting in the gumption studio, so to speak, and (laughs) having a conversation with me. I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, tell the listeners uh, a little bit more about your practice here in Plattsburgh, Uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear what you specialize in, but if you want to just kind of share a little bit more about your specialties, what you can do for people, how sure. they can get in touch with you, that kind of thing. Yeah. So easy part is um, I have a really slick system. Um, you can always call our office. Um, you know, at, at at the office, you can just look me up, Ideal Athlete Chiropractic or John Mulholland. Um, but I do all online scheduling. So it's like probably almost as much as I get some compliments for treatments and stuff. I get the compliments for my online scheduling. You can just go on my website, uh, which is www.theidealathlete.com and click on one of the like dozen book now buttons and you Mm -hmm. book as a new patient, returning patient. So you can do that. Um, Listen, I'm a small town kind of chiropractic office. So yeah, I treat a lot of athletes, but I have a lot of non-athletes too that just come in for back pain, neck pain. A lot of, if you've got a repetitive stress type injury, whether it's athletic, um, 
you know, any of that stuff, I, I'm willing to help you and willing to look at you. My kind of moniker, uh, I kind of pull the best from the chiropractic and the physical therapy world. So I'm not your traditional chiropractic, you know, one or two minute visit. You're getting muscle work, you're getting mm. exercises, you're getting, uh, you know, kind of this multifactorial approach to wellness and health. Um, and so you can reach out anytime and, and schedule like either that or call the office. And, um, my, my moniker I've lived by my entire career is I don't BS people. Mm either I can help you or I can't help you. And it's not going to take 20 visits to find that out. Um, usually an initial visit, I will say you give me two to five visits and you're either going to be doing better or you're not. And if you're not, we'll, I'll use my network to find someone else for you. So, um, if you have any questions or, or problems that have been kind of plaguing you a little bit, I'd be happy to take a look. Awesome, man. Well, for everybody listening, uh, this has been another episode of stories of gumption. Thanks for hanging in there with us and we'll see you next time. Thanks, man.